Star Wars. Yep, that's how I'm starting today. Star Wars. So if you've never seen the Star Wars movies, which, really? <laughs> right, but if you've never seen the Star Wars movies, George Lucas made three Star Wars films, and then he went back later and made the prequels three more. And so numerically, they're numbered episodes one through six, and then Disney made a bunch more. We don't really talk about those. But there's those episodes one through six. And, and in those episodes one through six, one of the central themes is the character story or the character arc of Anakin Skywalker. Now, Anakin Skywalker is introduced in episode one as a young boy, um, likable kid, but clearly very talented, very gifted. And then uh, as the story goes on, he trains to become what's called a Jedi Knight. And it's very clear that he is very gifted in that and actually grows to be, become arguably the, the most powerful Jedi of, around. And um, as he grows in his power and as he grows in his ambition, he has these internal conflicts that make him hunger and hunger for more power and more power even to become like a god so that he could keep his beloved from dying. And that power and that lust for power and his arrogance eventually twist him into Darth Vader. Now, even if you've never seen any Star Wars movies, I know you've heard that name. One of pop culture's icons, one of the greatest villains in all of cinematic history. There's another movie that I've always loved. It's called A Few Good Men. I don't know if you remember seeing that one. A Few Good Men has Tom Cruise portraying a young, hotshot Navy lawyer who has never seen the inside of a courtroom because he settles all of his cases. Um, and then there's a character, Colonel Nathan Jessup, played wonderfully by Jack Nicholson. Now, Colonel Jessup, uh, he was the commander of the ground forces at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. He had risen through the ranks of the Marines to get to this position. And the character is portrayed as this very arrogant, prideful man who thinks he can do whatever he wants, he can get away with it or whatever he wants, he can manipulate things to cover himself, even getting a case handed to this hotshot lawyer just so that it'll never enter a courtroom. Well, it does enter in the courtroom, and there's this moment where Colonel Jessup is put on the stand, and he's being confronted with the truth. And even if you've never seen the movie, you've probably heard that famous line that, that this picture's from, you can't handle the truth, right? But he's confronted with the truth of what he had done, and even with that, he is dumbfounded. He is beside himself that he could be held accountable for it, that he could be arrested for it. These types of characters who rise to power and are overcome with pride and ultimately fall, they make great protagonists for a story. They're the characters that we love to hate. And yet, we can see ourselves in them. We can look in our own hearts and recognize that with power position comes the temptation to take more authority than what is really ours. The temptation to grow beyond our boundaries. And that's there inside of each and every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves. And it's called the sin of pride. This is a tragic story of one of Judah's greatest kings, King Uzziah. And we find Uzziah's story in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah became king when he was 16, after his father Amaziah had been killed. 
I don't know about you, but I want, when I was 16, I wasn't ready to be a king. I was too interested in girls and in, in friends and in those kinds of things to be, have anything important like that put upon me. But there he was at 16, and he was made king, and he reigned for 52 years, the longest reign of any of Israelites' kings. And he had a successful reign. He, he built the kingdom. He uh, built the military up. He had successful campaigns against the Philistines and other enemies that were around him. He fortified Jerusalem. He even developed new weaponry. And in verse 8 of chapter 26, it says, His fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. And verse 5 says, As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. But, just like those other characters, Darth Vader and, and Nathan Jessup, with success came pride. Verse 16 says, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Would you pray with me as we consider what we can learn from King Uzziah? Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, as we approach the history that you have given us to learn from, we are humbled we are humbled to recognize that everything in your word has a lesson for us in how we are to live in, in relationship with you and with each other. And so, Father, I just ask now that you would teach us. Lord, that you would, you would use me, that you would speak through me, that you would teach all of us what do we need to know and learn when it comes to pride and how we live our lives. Amen. So there's basically two types of pride. There's the healthier version, and then there's the unhealthier version. And the healthier version is really based in self-worth and self-confidence, a, a tempered self-worth and self-confidence. Um, uh, you know, feeling good about something that you've accomplished, um, feeling good about uh, yourself and who you are as a human being. And, and really, there's nothing wrong with this type of healthy pride. Um, scripture Throughout Scripture, God reminds us of His love for us, how He has made us uniquely, and, and He's shaped us, and He has a purpose for us within the kingdom of God. And so, He wants us to feel good about who we are in Him. And that's a healthy thing. And then there's the unhealthy. And that's where we tend to think of ourselves as better than others, or think of ourselves as more important, where we take more authority than we really have, where we step across those boundaries of who we are and, and what we have responsibility for. And sometimes it's subtle, but it's there. It's in each and every one of us, and we tend to struggle with it. When I was in college, um, I have to admit, I had bordered on being an intellectual elitist. Um, it's, I'm, not, I'm not proud to say that. Uh, I went to a Christian college. My roommate and I, we kind of were both of the same ilk. And, and we, in, in the privacy of our rooms, we would actually make fun of other students or other professors who we thought had less informed theological or philosophical positions that we thought we knew better. And those theological and philosophical positions, later in life, I've come to appreciate and learn a lot from. The older I get, the more I recognize how little I know. Um, I can remember times where I've stepped across the boundary of my authority and basically put my foot in my mouth. Those are some of my most embarrassing times. Actually, there's been times where the only time I opened my mouth was to switch feet. 
And I do this because pride clouds my judgment. When pride gets in the way, we see everything around us through the lenses of self. We set ourselves up to be the ultimate authority, to know everything, to have all the right answers. And we put ourselves on a throne that should be reserved only for God. And when we do that, our morality begins to slip. We start to take license in areas in our lives, and we start saying things and doing things that we really shouldn't, believing we have the right to do so. We become ugly. Pride, just like any other sin, twists us into something shameful, just like Anakin Skywalker was twisted into Darth Vader. I challenge you to find any man or woman whose life is fueled by unhealthy pride and not find those around them looking at them with disappointment, disillusionment, and even disgust. Pride is offensive to others. It's ugly. And it ends up isolating us, but we can't see it because we can't even imagine how somebody couldn't see our brilliance. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says, The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Ezra Taft Benson, who was the Secretary of Agriculture under President Eisenhower, said, The proud wish God would agree with them. They are not interested in changing their opinions to agree with God's. And that's what pride does to us. We can't look beyond ourselves. Maybe you've heard Proverbs 16, 18 that says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, that's exactly what happened to King Uzziah. As long as Uzziah looked to God, he prospered. But then, when his heart was lifted up, as the word pride is sometimes translated, he stopped looking to God and took on authority that wasn't his. He entered the temple to burn incense on the altar. Now, to understand the egregiousness of this, and, you know, when you first look at it, you say, wow, well, what's the big deal, you know? But to understand the egregiousness of this, we need to understand and remember a few things about the Israelite nation and their culture. One of the things that made Israel unique from the cultures around it was that, first and foremost, God was their king. You see, in other cultures, um, their kings were seen as divine, but not in Israel. For Israel, they served God alone, and their rulers were ordained by him to govern the nation in his name. Exodus 6, 7 says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And Pastor Matt started this series a couple weeks ago, and he talked about how uh, Israel originally didn't have kings. They had various people that God raised up at different times to lead them, but they didn't have a king. God was their king. And then he talked about how in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people wanted a king and they asked for a king. They were warned about what a human king would become and what a human king would do. But even the human king, as, as they were allowed to have a king, even the human king was supposed to be subject to God. The king was never to take on priestly authority. 
The worship of God was and still is a very sacred act. You just have to read the first few books of the Old Testament to get a flavor for how important worship was and, and still should be in our lives. Worship was never a casual act and was always taken very seriously out of respect for the holiness of God. So everything that happened in the temple was to be carried out by the priests only. So when Uzziah took upon himself a priestly duty, he violated those boundaries that God had set. He trivialized God and his holiness, and he elevated his own importance and authority. And the priests immediately stood up to him, and they opposed him for this sacrilegious act. And Uzziah became angry, and it said he started raging at the priests. I can see Jack Nicholson doing a great job at that role if they ever make a King Uzziah movie. Luke 14.11 says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, immediately, leprosy broke out on Uzziah's forehead, and leprosy, which was um, you know, an incurable and highly contagious disease, made Uzziah ceremonially unclean. Then the priests immediately ushered him out of the temple, and he spent the rest of his days living in isolation. He had to allow his son to take the throne in his name, and he spent the rest of his days in isolation. He couldn't be in the temple, and he died a lonely man. This is a tragic story of a leader who did good for many years. He prospered, and the nation prospered with him. But when his pride got in the way, God humbled him and removed him from power. I just want to take a few moments to talk about some of the lessons I think we can learn from Uzziah's life. Lesson number one, as a nation, we need to be careful about how much confidence we place in our earthly leaders. We need to be careful about how much confidence we place in our earthly leaders. As Matt talked about when he started this series, when the people asked for a king, God warned them about the power that the king would end up taking. Throughout human history, we've seen what happens time and time again when political leaders end up becoming corrupt or taking more authority than is theirs. Even good men and women rarely escape that trap when they're put in positions of power and authority. It's important in any political system to have some sort of checks and balances with the leaders that we have in place. In Israel, the king had authority over the administration and protection of the kingdom. But while he had the responsibility to lead the people in submission to God, the priests always maintained the authority over the temple rites and the people's worship. God also raised up various prophets during that time as well to, to keep both the leaders and, and the priests in check. In our own country, we have a system of checks and balances. We have the separation of power through the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of government. And they are supposed to hold each other in check, and, and they do for the most part, but we've also seen times where one or more branches of government try to take more authority than what is really theirs. Uzziah's downfall was when he took on priestly authority. When the king believes himself to be priest, it is a short step to believing himself to be God. And we see what happens when leaders set themselves up to be gods. We currently have world leaders who have set themselves up in this way, who have manipulated their systems to give themselves more power, more authority, and longer power. You think of Vladimir Putin in Russia, or Xi Jinping in China, or Kim Jong-un in North Korea. There is only one 
who has the authority to be king and priest. There's only one who has the authority to be king and priest. Revelation 19 describes Jesus as dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hebrews talks about Jesus being our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf with the Father, whose blood provides our perfect atonement through his sacrifice. And it is to this king that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, as it says in Romans 14. Psalm 72 says that every king will bow down to him. Uzziah, in his pride, thought that he could take on authority that wasn't his. By contrast, Jesus, in his humility, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians chapter 2. The book of Isaiah, in the sixth chapter, starts off with this sentence. In the, la- in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. When our leaders fail and fall, God is still in charge. When our leaders fail us, God is still on the throne. We need to be smart about electing our earthly leaders. We need to be invested in our communities and vote as God leads us to. We need to support our leaders as well as hold them accountable. But we dare not give them more authority, clout, and devotion than they deserve. We dare not pull all of our hope and trust in them. We dare not make them gods in our minds and in our hearts. Jesus is our king. His kingdom and his reign is where our loyalties need to lie. Vote, vote, vote smartly and wisely and vote as God leads you to. But keep your priorities. Keep the kingdom of God as your primary concern and loyalty. Lesson number two. As individuals, focus on God and you will prosper. Focus on God and you will prosper. 2 Chronicles 26.5 says, As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Throughout the Bible, we see this message that if we keep our eyes on God, if we follow after him with all of our hearts, he will take care of us. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, where he he talks about the things that people tend to worry about. And then he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, these things you worry about, they will be given to you as well. But let me be very clear. This does not affirm 
what many well-known preachers are teaching today, that if you follow after God, you will be financially wealthy. There are some big-name preachers, some famous preachers, that are teaching this theology. It is a false theology. It's called the prosperity gospel, and it does not line up. The scripture does not support this. I mean, if, if it were true, a lot of people's lives would look very different. The kind of prosperity we see in the Bible is about having our needs met, being taken care of, and having a good life. Not an easy one, but a good one. God promises us that we can be satisfied. The prosperity that's promised in the Bible is really about blessing. That we'll be blessed with God's favor, His protection, His grace, and His peace. Now certainly there were those in the Bible who were financially wealthy, just like there are those today. But there were also those who weren't, but were equally blessed. Just look at the Apostle Paul who uh, had to work wherever he went to support himself. Even Jesus said he has no place to lay his head. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So God never promises us financial wealth, but he does promise us that if we make the kingdom of God our primary concern, if we are faithful to him and what he has called us to, he will provide for us, and consequently we will prosper. Now, prosperity doesn't mean that we're not going to have difficulties in life. We're still going to face illnesses. We're still going to face calamities. Um, I mean, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Prosperity means that we will be blessed by God's presence, his protection, not necessarily from physical harm, but from spiritual harm, and provision. All of our needs can be met in him. And we're going to be able to live our lives the way he ordained it. And for some, that may mean material wealth or success, but that's not the measure of prosperity. Biblical success is more about living in God's will and care. And that leads us to lesson number three. Prosperity is a slippery slope. Prosperity is a slippery slope. You ever notice that whatever space you have, you tend to fill up? Our first house was a two-bedroom townhouse. And when we moved into the house that we live in now, which is a little bit larger, we thought, oh my goodness, look at all this space. How are we ever going to fill it? Eight years later, we got clutter. Now, my wife hates clutter. She hates clutter, and she gets into these moods sometimes where she is cleaning house, and when she gets in those moods, I'm afraid if I'm sitting in one place too long, I'll be out on the curb. (laughs) But it's true. When we get things, we tend to want more. The blessing of God has to be balanced with our own humility and gratitude. We have to learn to be satisfied with what he gives us. I've told God many times that I would make a great philanthropist. I would be generous. I would help others with money. I would support the church. I would be a great philanthropist. And yet, Publishers Clearinghouse still hasn't shown up to my door. It's become clear to me that God intends for me to be satisfied with what he's given to me, not with the comfort and security that I selfishly long for. And to be a good steward, to be faithful with what he has given me. All those things to do that with what he has given me. When he does bless us with material wealth or with success or with fame, when things go well in our lives, we, in our sinfulness, are often tempted to start worshiping the blessing 
instead of the blesser. And we start to subtly take credit for the things we have. Almost, you know, that I achieved them out of my wonderfulness. And that's called pride. And I think that's what happened with Uzziah. As he prospered, his fame grew, and his pride took over, and he started to take more and more liberty. Jeremiah 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. As I said, God does want us to prosper, not necessarily with wealth, fame, and power, but he does want us to prosper. Prosperity, however, provides an opportunity for pride to grow. Only when we stay truly humbled and focused on God as the source of our prosperity can we remain truly balanced. And this is why tithing is such an important topic in the Bible. When I give back to God my first and best of my prosperity. It is an act of humility and worship in which I'm basically saying, God, I recognize that my prosperity comes from you and you alone, and you didn't give it to me just for me. You gave it to me for your glory and for your kingdom, and so by giving back this portion to you, I worship you in that. Lesson number four. We need godly people in our lives. We need godly people in our lives. Second Chronicles 26.5 says, He, Uzziah, he sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. Now, we don't really know much about this Zechariah. He's not the same Zechariah that's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. He's not the same Zechariah that has a book of the Bible named after him. That guy comes later in Israel's story. This Zechariah is just uniquely mentioned here. But he was apparently a prophet, a man of God, who was very influential in Uzziah's life. He instructed him in the fear of the Lord, and as long as Uzziah looked to God, he prospered. Do you have a Zechariah in your life? Do you have somebody that you can go to for spiritual guidance, for accountability? For some of us, God uses a particular person who is like a spiritual mentor for us. For others, it's a variety of people over our lives. When I look at my life, I can think of, in my younger days, some youth leaders that I had, um, college professors who were instrumental in my life, um, my family members and, and church members and pastors who, over the years of my life, have helped shape me and mold me. We weren't meant to do this life alone. Alone... We're tempted by our selfishness and pride. And we can rationalize and justify pretty much anything that goes on in our heads. But when we have godly people who are able to speak into our lives, we find the blessings and accountability and mentorship. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Accountability and spiritual mentorship help to keep us humble, learning, and growing. It challenges us. It sharpens us. And we all need to be sharpened. I need to be sharpened. I need to be sharpened as a husband, 
I need to be sharpened as a father. I need to be sharpened as a, uh, as a co-worker, as a son, as a brother. I need to be sharpened in all areas of my life. If, if you don't want to be sharpened, pride has probably already got a hold on you. If you don't have that kind of person, if you don't have a Zechariah in your life, find them. Make that a priority. And it's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard to develop those kinds of deep, meaningful relationships because it takes vulnerability. It takes trust. It takes risk. But the reward is absolutely worth it. To find that iron sharpening iron relationship with people who can speak into our lives and give us that kind of counsel and wisdom and accountability where I don't have to rely on my own wisdom and strength. You know, the small groups that we encourage here at Susquehanna Valley, that's really one of the main purposes of them, is to grow in relationship with people, to grow spiritually and to hold each other accountable and to grow in intimacy and vulnerability. I encourage you to consider becoming part of a small group. Pray about it. Pray for God to lead you to your Zechariah and see where he takes you. You know, we look at Uzziah's life. We see a man who followed after God, did good for many years, was a great leader. But then pride started to get in. It weaseled its way into his life, and he quickly fell. We need to be cautious about our own lives, about pride. We need to be cautious about the faith we put in our leaders. Not that we shouldn't put faith in our leaders. Not that we shouldn't vote and put good people in those positions. But remember what those positions can do. We need accountability. We need to check ourselves. And we need to keep the kingdom of God as our primary concern. And remember that Jesus is our king. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us on a daily basis about where our heart lies, where our treasures lie, whether they lie in, in the political systems around us, or they lie in our own greatness, or do they lie in you? Do we make you king of our lives? Do we put you on the throne? Lord, I know for myself I need, that, I need that conviction on a daily basis. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mold us and shape us. Continue to teach us more and more about you and your kingdom and what you really have for us. And I pray that you would bring those Zechariahs into our lives to help us and guide us. Amen.